0: Good morning. good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. There was a, you only said great or good, so that's kind of cool. Good. So, uh, I was at Best Buy this weekend because they have the fancy 4th of July sales, and I was looking at TVs, I don't really need one, but they had one for 60, a 65-inch TV for 50 bucks, and so obviously you're like, what is the problem here? Like, what's the deal? And so I talked to the salesman, which I'm scared of anyway, but I talked to him, and uh, <laughs> and sorry, and he's like, "Yeah, so it's a great TV. It works perfectly. You can hook everything up to it. The only problem is uh, the volume is stuck on full blast." <laughs> so I went ahead and bought it. I just couldn't turn it down. Okay, <laughs> okay, thanks. that was tied with another one that I'm not going to tell right now in my head. Uh, It is a pleasure to be here this morning. We are continuing the Miracles series in which we're talking about the God of miracles and about how awesome he is and everything that he does for us, everything that he's created for us, and then how he allows us to be a part of that, how he gives us a purpose and gives us a chance to be a miracle to other people. And through this series, we've talked about such amazing things like the parting of the Red Sea and how he will part things in our lives or about how the walls of Jericho fell down and how he will help us to see him in any situation. And so as we go through this, I wanted to continue along in the path of his plan in the Bible. And so today I'm going to talk a little bit about Paul and just what he was going through and a miracle that happened to him and also through him. So I'm going to be in Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people on the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy. So they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. So I stopped there because when I read that, I was like, well, this is just an intro paragraph. But to me, there's so much more there. Uh, For one, if you look at the context of where Paul is coming from. So Luke is writing this and him and Luke have been arrested again for just living for Jesus, for doing what they're called to do. Uh, And and they're on a boat being taken somewhere to uh, they're supposed to be executed. They're arrested and supposed to die. And so they're waiting to die. And so you can be with Paul right here, who is probably thinking about his life and like, you know, I used to do this to people. You know, before Jesus, I used to do this to people. I used to drag people to their deaths. I used to arrest people for living for him. And now I'm sitting here. And just everything that they're thinking, everything that they're focused on, everything that is happening because before his conversion, he was not a good person. Uh, Now, he could argue that he was living for what he believed, but he was still very cruel and very angry and, and took away other people's freedom of faith, other people's chance to worship Jesus. He was taking away people's lives. And so he probably thought about that. He was probably reminded about that a lot. And he continued to live. And then when he When he was converted, when he was saved, when Jesus called him to a better life, it was non-stop. It was non-stop. Like he immediately got up as soon as he could see again and ran out to start proclaiming Jesus, to start proclaiming proclaiming the word. To start sharing what had happened to him. And all of this is on his mind. And so think about that. Imagine being on that boat. Imagine being old. And most of us don't have to imagine that. Imagine... I included myself. Imagine, <laughs> imagine being old and, and being tired and, and, and being aware that you're about to die and being arrested again for doing nothing wrong and living a life of doing good, of living for Jesus, of, of doing your best and still facing all of this turmoil, facing all of this struggle. Imagine how easy it would be to focus on all of the storms. Now, in our own life, It's very easy to focus on all of the storms around us. It's very easy to focus on all of the bad news, all of the tragedy, all of everything. And so I have a quote from another who I consider a disciple, Mr. Rogers. And I've used him a lot before, and I love this quote. And just like I love his ministry, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. Listen. One of the things that I think has been most negative to our lives is the advent of the 24-7 news cycle. And social media, and just everything is there all of the time. You cannot get away from anything. You know whatever ever, what's happening everywhere, you know all of the bad, you know everything, and it's so easy to focus on. And it's so easy to think how bad it is. And I'm not at all saying, don't pay attention. Because we have to pay attention. But what I'm saying is, We often focus on the bad. We focus on the hard. We focus on the stuff that is horrible. We focus on the awful. And there is always going to be that. There is never going to be a lack of awful stuff in the world. Never. There's always going to be evil in the world until Jesus comes back. There's always going to be trouble for us to focus on. But instead of ignoring that, change your focus. And look for the helpers because there are always people doing good, too. There are always people standing up. There are always people like Mr. Rogers who see the landscape and say, hey, this TV stuff is being used for bad stuff. Maybe I'll focus on something good. There's always people like Billy Graham who stand up. There are always people like C.S. Lewis who stand up. There are always people like insert the person who has stood up. There are always helpers. Now, Paul, like I said, was on each side of that at different points. At one time, he was the scary stuff that the people had to focus on. But then he became a helper. And that's what Jesus does for us. That's what he provides us, the chance to focus on the helpers, the chance to be a helper, the chance to be that focus, to bring that focus to him. Going to the next verse, verse 3. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them uh, on the fire... A poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from the hand and said to each other, A murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to, or waited for him to swell up and suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. So want to, before I get to the miracle part, which I just read... The way that they got to this island was a shipwreck. So uh, Paul had survived that, obviously, and he's there. He doesn't recognize the island because they're on the wrong side of it because there was a storm and a shipwreck and everything. He's, again, still got a lot of bad stuff going on in his life. He's still, if he's rescued, going to jail or possibly going to die. And all of these things are happening. All of these things are trouble. And yet, what is he doing? He's working for Christ. He's not sitting there waiting. He's not saying, hey, you go do this. He's not saying, hey, people over there, do this for me. He is standing up and he is working. And he is living for Christ. And he is doing what he's supposed to do. And while he's doing what he's supposed to do, he's bit by a snake, a poisonous snake. And it just hangs there. So this isn't a nip. This isn't a nuzzle or whatever good snakes do. This is a bad bite. And it's just hanging off of his hand. Now, everyone here, and I'm including including myself in this, I would imagine, if a snake bit us while we're doing anything, our first reaction is, ah, among other things, and we'll scream, we'll yell, we'll probably blame other people, we'll probably, hopefully not, some people will say things they wish they hadn't said, all kinds of things are going to happen. But one thing that mostly won't happen is what Paul does, he continues working. He doesn't stop. He does not stop. He doesn't say, you stupid people, you should have been doing this. I shouldn't have been doing this for you. He doesn't say, man, Rome just ruined my life. He doesn't say, Luke, why are you writing stuff down? Why don't you do some work? He doesn't say, God, where are you? He says, I'm just going to keep going. Because once Jesus saved his life and turned it around, He worked nonstop for Christ. And so he lived for Christ. And then as he's bitten, he still lives for Christ. If he dies, he can say, I lived for Christ 100%. That's what he keeps doing. And the miracle is amazing. The fact that he didn't die. It's kind of a low-key miracle. It's not like the parting of the Red Sea. It's not like something that's super noticeable. But you notice he didn't die. So to him, it's probably a bigger deal. But the other half of that was that he kept going. As long as he has breath, he serves the Lord. As long as he is who Jesus has helped him to be, he serves the Lord. Whether or not he thought he would die, he lived for Christ. He lived to proclaim his name. He lived to proclaim his message. And so everyone around, they saw the miracle. They saw the power of God. And that had an impact. But the other thing that they saw was a man of God say, hey, I'm serving Jesus and then actually serve Jesus. They saw him live out, even though he might be dying, live out fully what Jesus had called him to do, live out fully who Jesus had called him to be. They watched him work. And I got to tell you, that probably had as much impact as the miracle itself. Because he kept going. As far as he's concerned, he's going to die. But hey, I might as well die as I lived for Jesus. Often, more of our lives are spent waiting for the miracle. Spent praying for the miracle than actually reveling in the miracle. Because again, there's so much bad around and We all have struggles. And we all hurt. And we all see other people hurt. And we all have just a million things in our lives that could sap our faith, that could sap our strength, that could sap our hope. And so we pray and we hope and we do what we can. But it's so easy to want to give up. It's so easy to look around and say, I'm not making a difference. Let somebody else pick it up. Let somebody else do it. I'm just not doing anything. I just can't do it. It's so easy to blame other people. It's so easy to just get angry. In my life, I've had no... shortage of trouble and that's by no means a lot compared to most people i would imagine but i've talked about financial troubles i've talked about people who have hated me and walked away i've talked about problems in all kinds of areas where where it stinks it hurts sometimes being in the ministry sometimes being a christian sometimes being alive can just hurt and i've always done my best to live for him i've always done my best to always keep fighting which I talk about a lot. But it can get hard. It can get really hard when we look around again and it's like, man, I'm doing everything. I am doing everything and it's just being ripped down almost as quickly as I build it up. And like I said, my struggles compared to most, it's nothing. I have another quote. This is from someone I haven't used. This is Helen Keller. Although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. My optimism then does not rest on the absence of evil, but on a glad belief in the preponderance of good and a willing effort always to cooperate with the good, that it may prevail. I saw this as I was studying for my sermon and preparing and praying and figuring out what what God had on my heart to say. And I was like, man, I'd never really thought about it, but the way she looks at life, that's amazing. Now, if you don't know who Helen Keller is, I would imagine most people have heard of the miracle worker or read her life at some point. Uh, She had a really bad fever when she was a baby and couldn't see or hear. That's rough. That means you're getting no input whatsoever. You're reliant completely upon other people to tell you what is going on. And so it would have been amazingly easy for her to say, I can't, I can't do anything. Man, everything is evil. I can't see, I can't hear, everything's awful. It's not fair. And yet, even though she's suffering, she's not saying, I'm so glad I'm blind. I'm so glad I can't hear. She's saying, People overcome this. People overcome this. And and evil exists. But so does good. And guess which is more powerful? Good is more powerful. I hated to take it away, but nobody answered. Good is more powerful. But more than that, a willing effort to cooperate with the good, to be a part of the good, to be a part of the solution, to be a part of the help. And so often... We are caught up with, I, I just can't get over this. I just can't. I can't get over this. I can't deal with this right now. I can't deal with you right now. Everything just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. They just never learn, it never changes, nothing is ever okay, etc. 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 But if she can do it, what can we do? We have this chance, we have this calling. Imagine, though, being unable to see or hear. Imagine being not only reliant on other people, but 100% reliant upon God. That's kind of where we're supposed to be. And all the other stuff kind of gets in the way, but we have this ability. We have this ability to focus on the good, not to ignore the bad, not to, to build a wall around ourselves, but to focus on the good and to be a part of the good, to be a helper, to do what we can to share that miracle, just like Paul did as he's dying. And he kept working and he kept working and we can keep working and we can keep doing it. We cannot get away from evil. We cannot get away from struggle. We cannot get away from pain. But can't get away from God either. His goodness is everywhere if we just choose to see it, if we choose to live it, if we choose to share it. That's our saving grace. Literally, that's our amazing grace. That's a song we kind of just sang. I've been in the church seven or eight decades now. And so in my time, some of you are doing math. Uh, In my time, in my time, one of the things I've probably heard most is we need a revival. And, you know, that's true. Absolutely. Revivals are good. Uh, back in Seymour, in the Nazarene Church, we would have scheduled revival services and stuff like that. And so a lot of times we'll hear, I'm going to pray for a revival. I'm going to schedule this. I'm going to hope for this, et etc., etc., cetera, et cetera, et cetera, And like I said, that's good. But a lot of the times, they're words we say And then we say them and we just kind of wait. It's like, man, I hope we have a revival soon. Up, see you next week. Or, you know, I hope that there's a revival in this nation, in this world, in this state, in this church, whatever. And then we just kind of sit there and it's like somebody else will take care of this. But maybe, maybe we are supposed to initiate it. Maybe we are supposed to be on the ground floor of this. Maybe we are who other people are waiting for. To stand up and live for Christ. To stand up and keep working. To stand up and keep doing what he's called us to do. To love him fully. And to love others the same. To show who Jesus is. To show the miracle of how he saved our lives. To show the power of his love. To start a revival of hope, a revival of truth, a revival of faith, a revival of God's love. And I imagine for a lot of people it wouldn't necessarily be a revival, it would be the first time they were truly shown God's love by other people. That's sad because we're supposed to do that. Paul did that, and Paul was by no means perfect. So anyone who's sitting here saying, yeah, but I've got this in my or Yeah, but, you know, I'm not the best speaker. Yeah, but, you know, I just can't, blah, blah, blah. We've all got that. I've got that. Paul helped murder some people. That's pretty bad. Hopefully nobody here has that in your past. If you do, feel free to keep that to yourself. <laughs> Although we do have a prayer wall out there. But he kept going. One of the things that I find so amazing about him is not just that he wrote like half of the New Testament. Not just that he opened so many churches. Not just that he was such a force. Other than Jesus, he probably did more than anyone to spread the Christian church. But also, that he just kept going no matter what else happened around him. That he showed who he was. He showed who Jesus was. He didn't point to himself and say, hey, look at me. He always pointed to Jesus and said, hey, this is what he did. Going to the last part of the scripture. Verse 7. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius. Uh, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill uh, with fever and dysentery. Not something you want to be ill with. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors, and when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. So in other translations, it calls him a leading citizen, Publius and his father. What that means is leading citizen of Rome. What that means is he was on the opposite side of Paul. What that means is if the roles were reversed, he's not helping Paul. And to go back a second, everybody around him is now thinking, wow, Paul is a miracle himself. Like Paul is a God, small g. So what does Paul do? He points to Jesus. He says, no, this, this isn't me. I couldn't do this without him. This is him. And he looks at the man who probably, like I said, wouldn't help him and says, I'm going to help you. Because that's what I'm here for. Because it doesn't matter who you have been because I've been there. It doesn't matter what you've done because I've done things. It doesn't matter what you think because I'm not perfect. It matters that I'm showing you Jesus because I have been shown Jesus. And so Paul helped him and he prayed with him and he helped the island and he prayed with them and he healed people and he did more and more miracles and it magnified because he kept going. Meanwhile, the snake's probably not still hanging from his hand, but the memory of it is. I'm going to tell you, I've never been bitten by a snake. But one time in college, grad school, I walked back to my apartment, walked in, I was on the ground floor, and there in the kitchen was a snake. And I remember that every time I walk into any kitchen ever. (laughs) And so I would imagine if you're bitten by a poisonous one, you're going to remember it for a while. And yet he keeps going. He doesn't stop and say, I've given enough for today. You guys go do this and I'll lay back. He says, Jesus didn't stop. Jesus' love is never ending and so I'm going to be too. And he kept going. And after the miracle, he didn't point to himself and said, See, I'm protected. I'm special. He said, See, he's amazing. He's special. He is a protector. He pointed to him. He pointed to Jesus with his actions. Which are louder than words. Which is my title today. Because God's love is louder than words. Because what we can do through him is louder than words. And Paul helped so many others. By living a life of joy. Hey, there it is. By living a life of joy. Now, I've used this before, but I'm going to use it again. Because I assume that I'm the only one that remembers every single thing I've ever said. Which is why I don't sleep at night. Joy. Capital J, capital O, capital Y. Jesus. Others. You. A lot of times we try to make it yaj. Or you, Joe. Now, I know that most of you haven't joined the lucrative field of English and gotten several degrees that are worth a ton, but neither of those are real words. Joy, though, Jesus others you, and that's what Paul is doing here. He's living for Jesus first, he's showing Jesus with every action, with every word, and he's focusing on helping others. At the end of the day, when he's about to go to bed, he'll look at the bite and pray and thank God. He probably already done that several times. But he'll put ointment on it or whatever existed at that time. He'll check it out, make sure it's not infected. But first, it's Jesus. Then it's others. And then he'll get to Him. One of the things that I think we mess up a lot, we're not great at defining words. That's not a grammar thing, but I've talked before about forgiveness, and we, at some point along the way, added and forget, and that confuses us. Because forgiveness is to let things go. Forgiveness is to give them to God. We still remember what happened. We still remember the feeling, but we move forward. Another word that we kind of mess up is humility. And I have a quote from C.S. Lewis, another powerful disciple. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. We often think of humility like, well, that means that I need to kind of down myself or insult myself, and believe me, I can do that. But it just means you stop thinking of yourself as much. It just means that you let some of that go, and you look to Jesus. You think of Him more. You think of others more. We show love. That's how we do what Paul did. That's how we live out joy. We think less of ourselves and more of him, more of the mission, more of the ministry, more of the good, more of the helpers. And we show people what that looks like. We live that out. That's a revival. That's powerful. That's impactful. The people on this island never forgot Paul. And because of that, they never forgot God. They saw what he had done through him. They saw what he had felt They saw all of that. And again, there's so many things around us that make it hard. And we're going to notice it, but don't dwell on it. We catch ourselves dwelling on it and focusing on it and only focusing on the bad and building a little dome of suffering. But we can break through that with him by showing him. Benjamin Franklin had a theory, several actually. This is a point. I'm not going on a weird side note. And it was that if somebody does something for you and they didn't like you before, they will like you eventually. Uh, And so he had a situation where one of his neighbors didn't like him. I'm not exactly sure why I would imagine there's lightning strikes everywhere and he had weird kites on air all the time. He was always like tying ropes to their door, whatever it was. And so he was going away for a while and he asked them to take care of the house and do some chores and stuff. Like, not like, hey, go do my dishes. But it's like, hey, I gotta go. Can you handle this? This person did not like him. And you know, by the end of the week, the person's like, he's saying to himself, if I'm doing this, I have to kind of like him. So why am I saying this? What's the point? A lot of times we look at other people and we think, I just don't like them. I don't like what they think. I don't like what they believe. I don't like who they are. I don't like how they vote, whatever it is. But if we live to show them Jesus and we do things for them and we help them and we share him, that's how we love others, by loving others. It's not easy. It doesn't mean you're going to be best friends with everybody because you're not. But it means that you're living for Him in a way that shows who He is. In a way that's miraculous. And it's important to remember that humility. It's important to remember that joy. It's important to remember to look for the helpers. But there's one more thing that is vital. To remember that we are not alone. Deuteronomy 31.6 So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. I want to point out the usage of the word will. Will. He will personally go ahead of you. What that means is, He's going to. It doesn't mean, If you do this, if you did that, if this happened. It means if you're following him, he's going ahead of you. Guaranteed. And it says he will never fail you or abandon you. Not, ah, man, third Tuesday of the month, he might kind of fail. No. Never will he fail you. Never will he abandon you. That means you're never alone. That means you're never failed. That means no matter what else happens in your life, he is a constant of love and hope and fulfillment. How could you not show that to other people? This guarantee is so powerful and it's something that we can remember. And the beginning is like, don't be afraid. And you're like, but I'm afraid. He's not saying don't ever feel fear because it's natural. You're going to. To be afraid means that you hold on to that fear and that becomes your life. You hold on to that fear when you see other people. You hold on to that fear when you see the news. You hold on to that fear when you're out in the world and you don't. Focus on the good. And right here he says, hey, I get that it's a scary world. I get that your life can be scary. I get that all of these things happen. But don't let him see you panic. Because I'm going ahead of you. I'm walking ahead of you. I'm in front of you every step of the way. Just like Israel marching away from Egypt. Like he's in front of them. So don't give in to that fear. Don't let them see you panic. Don't make that your life. Don't make that who you are. Don't make that your identity. Don't make that your definition. Because the Lord your God will personally, personally go ahead of you. And on top of that, will never, ever fail you. Will never ever abandon you, will never, ever give up on you, will never, ever leave you. Do people sometimes turn away from Him? Absolutely. Do people fail Him? Sure. But He will never fail us. And He will never abandon us. So what does that say with everything? It says if we go out And like Paul, we continue, even as the snakes are biting us, and like Jesus, we continue to show love and truth and grace and hope, even as everyone is yelling insults at us. And we remember that we're not alone, and we remember we cannot be failed, and we remember we will not be abandoned, and we do our best. We do our best to love God. We do our best to love others. We do our best to treat others as we want to be treated. We do our best to live the gospel. We do our best to live joy. We do our best to show hope. He's going to magnify that. Because on our own, it's just words. But remembering that He is there, that is the miracle that is how revival happens by living it each and every day and remembering that everything we do, everything we say he takes that and makes it greater that's all I got